This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. This show is about you, and we are here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great free content that'll help you become more charismatic, confident, and dare I say it, charming by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you wanna know more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm live programs here in LA, check out the Art of Charm toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got a lot of fundamentals like breakups, relationship management, negotiation, business networking, dating, attraction, body language, all that stuff that a lot of people overlook. And our live programs run every single week here in Los Angeles, California. Details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp or just give us a call here in the office. Numbers at the top of the website, 888-413-7177 or you can even email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. Believe it or not, I read everything. I'm looking forward to meeting all of you here at The Art of Charm. Today we're talking with Jake Ducey. We're gonna talk about why college kids party. Is it really what you think? That's the headline. Actually, it's a crap headline, but... We're gonna get diverge a little bit into how PR companies really work, how to make a pitch that gets through to influencers and how he got through to his, how college can actually be a disadvantage for some people, surprise, surprise, and questions you can ask yourself to work backwards from your goals towards specific actions you can take now and how to use fear to your advantage and deal with not feeling quote unquote ready for the next step. So enjoy this one with Jake Ducey. You dropped out of college. Now you're the youngest ever published motivational author, which is pretty sweet. So how did that happen? You're 23. It's like I would, I don't even want to talk about whatever I was doing at 23. Probably wasn't that interesting. <laughs> I was a top recruit in high school, San Diego, playing basketball to go to college. You know, everyone said study business in school. So I went to school to study business and just because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. But as soon as I got there, I realized that it wasn't really conducive for learning or anything except for how to be the next cog in the wheel. And I was a freshman and I raised my hand and I said to my economics professor, excuse me, uh, why can't we audit the Federal Reserve? And he's like, shut up. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, seriously. And he wouldn't let me talk. And um, I became really disenfranchised with school. Somebody gave me Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles, and I thought it was stupid. And uh, I decided to finally open it. And it changed my life as a 19-year-old college kid that was just partying my butt off to basically cope with, with not doing anything I wanted to do with my life. And when I read this book, it changed my life because I saw, man, there's these common threads between some of the world's greatest successes and biggest difference makers. Like they always had a vision. They wrote their goals down. They took risks to do what they wanted to do. They looked to make a difference and they didn't make excuses. And that's when I realized that most of us are gambling on the biggest risk of all. And that's the bet that one day 
one day. Then we can buy the freedom to do what we want later in life. That's what led my journey. So it seems like in college, a lot of people, you know, they party their face off because they're sort of confronted with the idea that they're now going to get squeezed into a box. And that box, there's nothing fun in that box. There are no toys in there, right? So you're going to have to get a job. It's not going to be that fun. You're going to have a lot of things to be excited about in your life, but your freedom is, is slowly winding to a close as real world sets in. I didn't party that much because I didn't know what I was going to do, but I view, I was like, this is going to be exciting. I'm in this awesome future, and I sort of regret not doing it as much. But I think the reason that some people stand out is like, you know, a lot of adults were like, "You're great. that's great, you're so focused on what you're doing. And I remember when we were working on The Art of Charm and I was still working on Wall Street, I had these uh, older guys who I knew, they were like, you guys are the hardest working 20-year-olds that I've ever met, this is unbelievable. You know, you guys are so focused, you're working so hard. And the reason was because, well, of course, we were more passionate about what we were doing, but I think if you have the idea in your head that your future is limited and that your freedom is gonna be limited, you kind of blow it out. You know, you go through four years, you're partying your, your face off. If you think or you know that destiny is in your own hands, your freedom is in your own hands, what you can do what is, is limitless, you know, really only limited by you, and I don't mean that in some sort of woo-woo universal sense. I mean like you don't have to get a job because you have a business. You don't party yeah. as much because you don't feel like you need to. You don't feel like that's a limitation. You feel like you can party later or you can balance it. You don't have this sort of like, oh my God, we're off the chain finally and we're gonna be back in prison soon. So like, let's enjoy these four years of freedom. Yeah, I think that's like really what's happening a lot. People say young people are disengaged and I think they're disengaged often because like exactly what you said, they know their freedom slowly dwindling. And, you know, I think, of course, that applies to us at all different ages, like Fortune and Forbes did a write up on this recent Gallup poll that came out in fall of this year about how 76, like they interviewed thousands of people and 76% of people said they're actively disengaged from their jobs. They don't like their jobs. And over a quarter of the people said they absolutely hate them. Like that's no way for us to live our life, this thing, work we're supposed to do forever when we don't like it. And those realizations are really what created a shift in me as a 19-year-old young man. Why should anyone listen to a 23-year-old kid about what we should be doing with our lives and, you know, like, come on, man, you're 23, you don't have real responsibilities, man. Why should I listen to you? <laughs> you know, people always say that and they say like, yeah, that may be true, what do you know, and all that stuff like that. But, you know, because of my age and, and writing two books at 23 and being the youngest published author by Penguin Random House and their history and and I've been able to do some pretty cool things, you know, being mentored by the world's, some of the world's most successful people like Jack Canfield, creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul, who sold 500 million copies, John Gray, who created the Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And it's really put me in a unique position, I feel, because these people, of course, charge fortunes for their knowledge. And, and because of my unique age, it's actually given me an opportunity to go under their wing and, and really learn some things that I think aren't usually available. On top of that, I've definitely been able to do some cool things. You know, people always say, how'd you write two books by 23? I think that stands alone. But, you know, I've, I've definitely been able to learn some cool things from, from Jack and really excited to talk about them. Sure, yeah, well, I was gonna say, we're certainly gonna ask you about those. But yeah, no, you've, you're definitely young and, and published, which is awesome, super congratulations on that. I think it's really neat and 
You know, I'm asking you that question not because I really don't think I can learn something from somebody who's 23, but because, hell, when we started The Art of Charm, I was 27. I looked like I was 24, and a lot of the guys that worked here were younger. And we would meet people, and I remember being in my own building in my elevator, and these guys were like, what are you doing here? You don't live here. And I was like, I do live here because it was a nice building in Manhattan. And the guy goes, what, trust fund? And I was like, no, actually, I run a company called The Art of Charm, da 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 and they were like, what could you know about development? How old are you? Like 25? And I was just like, that's funny. Because obviously he was like a major douchebag. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's funny. Because I'm the one running a business and I live here, don't I? Don't you <laughs> live here too? Don't we live in the same building? What do you do again? I banker. And he just was so pissed. Because it was like he had worked, you know, 20 plus years in finance. Obviously just hated his life. Because nobody treats people like that if they don't. <laughs> And it was kind of like, yeah, I'm your neighbor, bro. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like that's happened to me so many times, especially I wrote my first book when I was 19. Every single publishing company and every agent said that to me. So I went out and I self-published it and made the top 300 on Amazon myself with no marketing budget, with no publicist, with none of it. I did it all myself. And I think it's so funny how that can happen. And now Random House is like, whoa, bro, you already have a book and you're young? This is a great story. We totally want to publish your book. Yeah, I know. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah, they're risk averse, man. They knew that if they took a chance on you and failed, they'd look stupid. It's really funny. Um, I, I was listening to one of my favorite musicians recently. He's an MC and, and he's created his own independent label. He's had hundreds of millions of views on numerous videos and he was laughing about how now that he's making millions of dollars, these record companies try and buy him out. He's like, if you couldn't see my talent and take that risk when I was just a kid, like, why would I go with you now? So I think it's pretty funny. And it, I'm happy to hear that you can relate to that situation, you know, being young and going after your dreams. Yeah. And it's not just like, do what you want to do, man, because life is short. It's, I mean, there's never really been a better time to go after some meaningful success by creating a real long-term vision, right? And, and that's what you talk about, is it not? Yeah, that's totally my whole stance. Like people, especially with this new book with Penguin, you know, this is my second book and people are like, whoa, you know, you have this four-week window to launch your book and all these internet marketers talking like that. I'm like, man, the book comes out January 2nd, 2015 and I'm in this for 12 months, not four weeks. I heard this phrase one time from, from Joe Polish. She talked about career capital and uh, about, you know, long-term developing something, creating career capital, turning something into a real skill. And, and I thought that was such a beautiful concept. And it's totally something I believe in. Like, what's the point in doing something if you're not willing to do it long enough to, you know, um, create the career capital and, and really turn it into something that can be a great business, support yourself and, and make a difference in something that, you know, creates excitement waking up in the morning. Like, what else? Why else? Why would we do anything else? Why is now such a good time to do this? Dude, this is a perfect example. We're talking through the internet. It is so easy. You know, all we need to do is go online and look about people making like six figures off of like Harry Potter fan clubs and like huh. violin instructors. Like people are doing it across the board and all types of things. Like there's a business model to be made in like almost anything. 
A great example is I'm doing my own PR. I chose not to hire a publicist specifically because I thought I could do it myself. And I just sent you an email. And now I'm like on top 50 podcasts on iTunes, knocked out seven or eight of the other top 100. There's such an incredible opportunity to get our message out or your services out or whatever you want to do because we have something that wasn't available 100 years ago. And, and it's, it's so encouraging to anyone that wants to take that next step in, in building their life. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because if you're listening right now, you are listening to one copy slash download of 1.1 million copies of the Art of Charm podcast that have been downloaded in the last 30 days, right? That's a huge audience. That's something we built from scratch and we don't have to go there because this show's about you right now. But honestly, you sent me this like infographic or something with your picture on it and I deleted it and then I undeleted it right away because I was like, wait a minute, that guy looks really young. What is this? And then I realized it looked kind of like a personal email, but I thought it was a publicist pitching me some crap. So I didn't even read it. And then I went back and I was like, oh, wait, this is actually this guy. He just has this graphic or whatever. So ironically, if you had hired a publicist and that person had written and pitched me, I would never have replied. Almost for sure. That I told, isn't that hilarious? Like, I think Andy also told me you liked my hair, but. I did, and I do. <laughs> I had a great word that I put it in into the email, but now I can't remember <laughs> it. But it is, it's because it's long, luxurious locks is what you got going on over there. <laughs> yeah, no, man, I think it's so funny because there's such a distance often between authors and their own PR. Like, Tim Ferriss is the perfect example of taking matters into his own hands. I think it goes a long way. And, you know, to go back to your question, it's such a great opportunity to take matters into our own hands with the internet that we have and take the life we want, you know? And, and I, so it's great to hear that the fact that I wrote my own email and, and it didn't come from a publicist really spoke to you. Yeah, I think it's it's better that way because here's the thing. When you pitch me, it means, yeah, maybe it means you emailed a million different people, but you did kind of make it a little bit personal. It was interesting enough. And then I replied a couple of times. I didn't just say, I'll do it. It was like there was a little exchange. There was a little back and forth. But when a publicist emails you something, it's like this weird formal pitch. It's written like a pitch. And then you reply and then like a week later, they're like, sorry for the delay in our response. We would be <laughs> delighted to book blah, blah, blah. You're the current... And it's just like informal and weird. And I'm like, this is already an annoying experience. How's it going to be when I have the person on? And they're like, yeah, what's your show again, dude? Yeah. I, I don't even know. I've done like 80 of these things today. And I'm just like, oh, how long is it? I'm hungry. And you're, yeah. You know, that content always sucks. So I never accept those. If somebody wants to be on this show, you know, it, you can slam pitch a billion different folks. But I don't have to say yes. And at this point, you need me more than I need you. Not you personally, but like anybody launching something. That's such great insight for myself and anyone else listening to hear how, you know, an influencer like yourself is really looking at it. You know, um, I, I received this advice beforehand and just really went on the trust that working for myself as my own publicist would really go a long way. And so it, it, that's really interesting to hear that. Yeah. It, PR is one of those businesses that, and this might be interesting for people, or we may have just lost half the audience, but PR... PR is an interesting business because it's like 99% of them don't really know anything other than how to write a press release, which is kind of useless. And they know how they have like a Rolodex of people they can spam. That's it. A good PR person, though, goes, oh, you know what? You'd be a great fit for 
this show, not a good fit for that show. I know these guys at this magazine, they love stuff like this. And then they call or email specific people at those outlets and they're curating the content so they get they get an ability to look in line. And that's sort of the difference between a PR person who's just like a group of 15 college kids in a cubicle dorm and he hire, you know, the guy hires them because they're cute or whatever and a PR person who's actually going to hustle for you. And there's obviously a price difference in that. But the thing is, a book company or your company, if you're a small businessman, is never going to hire that person. You're going to go, nah, I'm just going to go with something cost effective and it's going to have mediocre results. Yeah. What I've really also learned in it, you know, to, to tie this back is like, dude, no one's going to work harder for your business than you can work on your own. And I think that really uh, ties back in, into this conversation we're having about, you know, really taking matters into your own hands and building your own life. Um, is that at a certain point, it's like, I think really one of the most charming factors that a person can have is taking matters into their own hands, being driven by that, by that thing within themselves rather than being reliant on other people. Well, especially because the reliant route doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, I sure. gave a talk about networking with AJ to um, the University of Michigan alumni. It's in Detroit area. So I said, how many of your parents work for Ford, GM or Chrysler or whatever, or a car company? And like, you know, 90% of the room raises their hand and the other 10% are the out-of-state kids. And so it's massive. Like back in the day, it was like, yeah, you go through college or, or not go work for an auto company, you're good forever. You're not going anywhere. And that's gone now. So the kids are freaking out because they're kind of thinking like, wait, my parents' advice is go to college and then get a job. Like, dude, that doesn't work anymore. Are you crazy? But honestly, nobody's really getting the memo. And now it's just starting to sink in where it's like, oh, it's the economy. It's a bubble. You know, it's hard to get jobs. No, honestly, People who are hiring are often not even hiring grads in certain areas because we want somebody who's experienced. Here's the big lie, right? Oh, well, you need a degree because you can't get experience without a degree. That's not true. And if an employer's looking at somebody who has four years of experience versus somebody who has a four-year degree, who do you think they're gonna pick? I don't need somebody with a four-year degree, even if it's in undergraduate business. I want somebody who's got four years experience working for the company that does what I want to do. I can train them how to make spreadsheets in Excel. I don't give a crap about that. Yeah. So, so now you're looking at people who go to college and it's actually a disadvantage for a lot of people. It really is, not to mention the debt that happens. I failed junior English class in high school. I didn't know how to write. I could have went to school to learn to write, but instead I taught myself how to write. And you know, so I think definitely the credentials and the experience, quote unquote, I think we can toss a lot of that out the window if we really look at, you know, taking matters into our own hands and, and self-directing our education. And that's what I did. I taught myself how to write by retyping The Great Gatsby over and over again, because I heard Hunter S. Thompson did that, who's one of my favorite writers. So I just wanted to, I, I thought that was a perfect parlay in there. Yeah, you know what? Um, I think that fits really well. And I'm not saying, just to the caveat, I'm not saying no one should go to college. I think it's great for a lot of folks, especially if you're going to study something like computer science, computer engineering. I mean, those, they have connections. Doctors. You can learn from great people. Doctors, yeah, lawyers obviously still need to. And, and there's a lot of other people that still need to in a lot of other fields. But if you're going, because like me, 
you're like, I don't know what to do with myself. So you're going to take history, anthropology, unless that stuff really interests you, you will learn far more getting a bunch of crappy jobs in different places. I'm with that. That's totally what I'm about. Yeah, my message isn't drop out of school, although I've definitely learned more by dropping out. Yeah, but not everyone can do that. I just want to be super clear because I don't want people who are like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm passionless to just drop out of college. And then they're like, crap, now what? Yeah, or quit their job. Right. Listening to this and they're even 45 years old. Like, you don't need to quit your job either, for sure. I'm with that. Exactly. Going back to what we'd sort of originally discussed, why is age and experience and passion and all that stuff less important, more important? And is that different from purpose? Well, I think Stoicism has a really interesting philosophy on it um, about the difference between passions and purpose. And their take on it, I think, is interesting and something Ryan Holiday writes a lot about how passion is BS. And I'd kind of agree with it, like, you know, especially as a a lot of younger people, they're passionate about a million things. Um, Maybe they're passionate about movies and they're passionate about video games and they're passionate about meeting people can have a zillion passions and we can flutter around between a million different things and be like Jim Rohn says, being a, a a wandering generality uh, rather than a meaningful specific. And I think purpose, an example of like a purpose, like I'm sure Steve Jobs had other passions besides computers. Turtlenecks. Passionate <laughs> Turtlenecks. About turtlenecks. He had other passions, but he chose one to create career capital with. You know, Martin Luther King probably liked other things. Bob Marley probably liked other things besides pot and uh, playing music. Maybe, uh, maybe. <laughs> so I think the difference is like purpose, I think is maybe that one thing that, you know, we think we can build career capital out of to really create a, a great life and also contribute to creating this better world. That one thing that's like, I feel like I'm here, I'm doing what I came here to do. Excellent, my friend. All right. Now, in terms of finding that, that seems easier said than done, right? I mean, can we talk about how to create a clear direction or vision for our life? I mean, that's like people email me all the time, like, what do I do with my life? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm one of the worst people you could ask for that question because I went to law school and college and worked on Wall Street and now I'm doing something totally different. I mean, ask me what you do with your life. Like, I don't know, get really lucky and find something you love and then make it a business. I mean, I don't know. You know, I think definitely, firstly, you know, just to reiterate, I don't think in order to create a vision, we need to quit everything we're doing, sell our house and leave our kids in a distant city and whatever. I think that one, I really believe like purpose in a sense can find us just when we don't settle. And and two, I really like this question, what would have to happen one year from now? For you to look back and say it was your most successful, your most fulfilling year yet, asking that same question for a year, you know, five years from now. And I think starting to build towards towards goals, things that are of interest with us. And the more and more we start to pursue those things, I think it becomes way more apparent what it is that we want to do. And then we can start building more and more of a structure out of it. And really looking at that, what would have to happen one year from now for me to look back and say it was my most successful, my most fulfilling year yet, starting with the 12-month vision, whether that's to get healthier or maybe it's like in 12 months or in 36 months, I want to be financially free and, and doing something else. Well, creating the plan and working backwards, like Jim Rohn says, if you know your goal, 
your goal is financial freedom or your goal is to start a podcast like yours or write a book or to create your own garden or whatever the heck it is. Once you know your goal, Jim Rohn says, turning it into a question, how can I, you know, whether like for me, you know, it's, um, I want to, I want this book to reach thousands and thousands of people. I want this, I want my voice to be heard and turning that into a question. How can I do this? Well, first step for me is today. The way to do things is definitely online podcasts are what's in radio's what's out unless it's a very big radio show. So I made a list. I made a list of the top podcasts like yours and other ones I wanted to be on. I went out and I said, how else could I do that? Well, I could write a bunch of articles for top blogs. I could get book excerpts working backwards. So I think once we have some things that we want to start moving towards, if we can work backwards and create steps, we can always keep making progress um, so I think those questions are great. I start my book with a story about a 60-year-old man that was in one of my workshops, and he'd never been asked that question. He'd never asked what he wanted. He was like in a really nice suit. He's like made a bunch of money, and he's like, I have a bunch of money, but I've never been asked what I wanted to do, like any of that stuff, like a vision for my life. I just did what like I thought I was supposed to do. You know, I went to school, then I got this job that gave me a bunch of money. So I think asking those questions are are really great places. And then, of course, there's great ways to always work from the visions from there. Jack Canfield talks about the rule of five, five things to do every single day to move closer to it. So I think that question, what would have to happen one year from now or 36 months from now or 10 years from now for me to look back and say, you know, I really built work I'm proud of. I'm really living a life that like that I really want to live in. Excellent. So you work backwards from your goals to your basically action points that you need right now. Yeah. People always say how. Well, I know what I want, but how do I do it? Well, first, don't say I don't know. <laughs> you can't say that. When you ask yourself questions about how to get there or, or even what your vision is, don't say I don't know. That's the first coping mechanism to never dive in deeper. And, and second, yeah, I think is, is asking ourselves how and working backwards. You know, there's no right answer. There's no perfect way, but there's a lot of ways that can get you to the ways that work best for you. Wow. You know what? Speaking of long-term goals, I just, I'm looking at breaking news right now. Cuba and the U.S. restored diplomatic relations. It has been longer than both of our lifetimes combined that they have not had diplomatic relations. The U.S. will open an embassy in Cuba. Starting today, they have diplomatic relations. That is a goal that has not been accomplished by, well, I guess probably more Fidel Castro's goal than any U.S. president, but that's pretty rad. That's a history has been made just now. Yeah, no, I saw that actually earlier today. And uh, yeah, no, I think it's I think it's definitely a a sign, you know, of of possibilities for sure. So now you can publish your book in Spanish and that can be the first place (laughs) where you release it. And that can be my first place for my book. Or I could start my podcast in Spanish. Yeah, just don't try to do it in Cuba. Their internet is terrible. Okay, um, <laughs> well, I'll just, uh, I won't do it in Cuba. Just give up now. Just give up. <laughs> There's no point. Um, excellent. Those sort of strategies and tricks for asking what you want. I mean, what if I'm scared? You know, a lot of people are like, yeah, great. Okay, I can do that. And then I'm freak out and be like, but I can't leave my job and I'm going to be broke and people aren't going to like me and they're going to think my ideas are stupid. How do I cope with that? Now, back to the show. Yeah, I think there's a few things. And again, I want to reiterate, like, 
I'm not claiming to have the answers for everyone. You know, I definitely, my new book, The Purpose Principles, is about the stories of failure and success between some of the world's biggest difference makers. So I share a lot of these stories and what I found in myself and in many others, and I'm interested to know if it's true for you, is that the common thread between a lot of these people is that they are scared. It's, it, for them, it wasn't about being fearless. It was about being courageous, taking action in spite of fear. I interviewed Laird Hamilton, who surfs 100-foot waves, one of the greatest big wave surfers ever. He invented toe-in surfing. He said he's so scared in the water that if he doesn't immediately start paddling when big waves come, he locks up and he just like, he has to just get out of the way and like duck. And I think these stories are across the board of like, I don't think it's about being fearless. I think it's about being courageous and recognizing that, you know, we're, we're not totally going to get rid of fear. Another thing is I think we always ask what's the worst that can happen and just we usually ask that question. The worst that could happen, you know, I got my publishing, my first book that was self-published when I eventually got my agent that got me my contract. I went to his front door. That's how I, he became my agent. And I went and knocked on his door. And in my head, I'm asking myself the worst that could happen. Well, he could like think there's an intruder and he could like call the cops and like I could go to jail. And my life is going to be over. And then I'm like, well, what? Hypothetically, what's something good that could happen? Well, maybe he'll think I have serious balls and he'll like become my best friend. And that's kind of what happened. He's become a father figure to me, especially father figure in sakes of uh, business. And so I think asking what's the best that could happen is just, you know, it doesn't mean that's always going to happen. And I think the third thing is we're so attached to outcomes. But I think that goals and visions are really about who we become in the process. And I think when we can recognize that, facing our fears seems a lot more logical uh, than when we're just focused on the result of whatever it is, going after our dreams and failing. Well, maybe you'll learn a lot of great things. So I think um, Henry David Thoreau says that the purpose of a goal is who you become in the process. So I think those three things are, are really interesting. I don't think it's about getting rid of fear. Um, and I think the common threads between many of the greatest influencers in the world, they all say the same thing. They all face uh, repetitive rejection. The Beatles were denied by Decca Recording Studios. They said that they were unfit for show business. You know, like Oprah was unfit for television. There's stories across the board. And number two is why not ask what's the best that could happen? But yeah, you know, it's like worrying is kind of like, right, worrying is just assuming that the worst thing could happen. Yeah. What, if you, what if you reverse worried and you were like, oh my <laughs> God, you know, what if I... If I do this, I could have like a really great agent and a hugely successful career that starts way earlier than I thought. And I'm going to meet all these people that are really going to help me. And I'm going to make all this extra dough. And I'm never going to have to worry about other things. What if that happens? You know, it's way more fun to do that. And honestly, you're kind of just as prepared, not as emotionally prepared, but you're just as prepared situation wise if you would be if you just worried about bad stuff all the time. Yeah, I know. It's, it's pretty interesting. Like, I definitely grew up always asking what's the worst that could happen. And if we're going to play the what if game, yeah, I think it's worth asking what's the best that could happen. Like, how could this pan out for me? What could my life be like in three years? You know, and obviously some people are going, no, you can prepare for situations and I'll mitigate the impact. Fine, do both. Worry about the worst <laughs> stuff, prepare for that, and then worry about the greatest stuff and hope for that, right? Yeah, I definitely believe that. Cool. Awesome. 
So that's great dealing with, you know, you're not ready and not feeling ready or you feel like you can't do it. What about people who are like, yeah, 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 that's all fine and good, but I need to make money, dude. Like, I need to make money. Money's my thing. Totally. I mean, I think that happens. I think that goes back to what we were originally saying. A business model can be made. Like, people are making seven figures off of Harry Potter. And, uh, you know, I guess that goes back to the old adage about, you know, looking to see where you can fill a hole in the marketplace. I also believe, like, from Jack Canfield, something I definitely believe to be true is, you know, if you can add enough value to the marketplace, you're going to, you know, that's going to make you a lot of money on the back end. I think that if I think that's a great goal to have. I have goals to make money. Um, and I think it goes back to if you want to make a million dollars, write that as a freaking goal and, and create a, an actionable plan in order to get there. Um, I definitely think money can be a great thing. And uh, it's definitely a goal of, of mine to be continuously increasing, you know, my income on my each one of my speaking engagements. And, and I think it, it works the same way. It's just creating like a lot of people that are making a lot of money are saying the same thing. Like, well, they, if you want to make it, create a plan in order to do it for sure. I, I think that that's an important thing, you know, and then there's all, if you want to make money, probably shouldn't spend all your money all the time. You should probably start saving some of it. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not as burst on strategies in order to invest as someone like, you know, whomever it is from Tony Robbins to Billy Bob, Jimmy, or whomever it is. But I, I think making money is great. I'm making it and I want to make more of it. And I want to get a farm in, in South America. You're such a hippie, Jake. The <laughs> hair, the, the hair was the first giveaway, but that was the second, that was the second <laughs> nail in the coffin, in the hippie coffin. Uh, I I wonderfully accept it. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely visit your farm, your coffee, or whatever farm you have in Central America. Um, yeah, man, I think I think it's phenomenal. The last one of the last questions I have for you though is how how did you manage to be so productive at your age? Because I was just a disorganized mess when I was until till last week. Until you met me, right? Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> right. How did I become so productive? Uh, there's this one quote by this guy to, you know, maybe this will be my third strike for being a hippie. There's a quote by this guy, Patanjali. Patanjali invented the Yoga Sutras thousands and thousands of years ago. He has a quote. He says, once you're inspired by some great purpose, some extraordinary task, all of your limitations, all your bonds break. You awaken dormant forces and talents within you. And I feel that I'm you know, who knows if it's true or not, but I feel I found my calling, my purpose. And that drives me. It drives me to look around in, in the world and, and see uh, a failing economy and tw thousands of, of children dying every day from poverty to so far as teen suicides at the highest rate ever, at the highest rate of psychotropic uh, drugs being prescribed. There's a bunch of people that don't like their jobs. All those things drive me and motivate me and, and have allowed me to put in the extra hours and put in, you know, it's definitely been a, a process of a, of a lot of hours and all of those things drive me. There's some specific takeaways I'd love to share. Sure. One of those being the rule of five, which I mentioned, um, writing down every day, five things. You don't need to do 40 things in one day and zero things the next day because you sleep the next day because you pulled an 18-hour day that day. Just all in good balance, um, five things a day to move closer. I always apply that. Um, 
I think uh, outsourcing things is great. Getting a, a you know, I finally got an assistant and some other people to help me put in my strategies. There's another thing called the 10 minute rule, and the 10 minute rule is, you know, when you go through all the shit that you got to get done, marking out the things that are going to take 10 minutes. It could vary for you. It could be the 15 minute rule, and usually all those things we have this list of maybe like. 12 things we need to do. And let's say seven of them. We think all these things, blah, blah, blah. We have all this shit to do so we don't get any of it done. But when we break it down, most of them are maybe so simple as sending an email or making that phone call that's going to take 10 or 15 minutes. So I kind of divide the shit I need to get done based off of how long it's going to take me. I organize my things so I know in 60 minutes, I could have six of those things off my list done. So those are some little things, you know, but Really, I think it boils down to I, I feel I have the opportunity to really be an instrument to really create a, a world, a better world, because I think that human civilization can't go the way it's going for much longer. If we just look around, you know, there's increasing everything in a lot of negative ways. And there's such a great opportunity for us to take advantage of it, to, to live a great personal life. And also, I think to, to really die satisfied that we that we had a life well lived. And I, and I want to, I want to do that. These people always tell us like, these are the things that are going to make you feel like you lived a life well lived. And I want to take advantage of that. Perfect. Thanks so much, man. Great job. And congratulations on your success. Is there anything that you really want to deliver that I haven't asked you yet? Yeah. The purpose principles is up there, but Brad Pitt got there because he was set up for, you know, a secure route as a journalist, he was in journalism major at University of Missouri, and he wanted to always act. He was a couple weeks from graduating to a secure job out there where all of his family lived, where he grew up, where his comfort zone was, and he didn't want to do it. So a couple weeks before he graduated, he took a couple hundred bucks, an old beat-up car, drove to L.A. By the time he got there, he had no money left. The only thing that he could do was really pay for McDonald's. He had no money. So he went and got a job as the El Pollo Loco mascot where you wear that crazy chicken suit. And that's how he paid for acting school. So I share all these really cool stories like that in the book of these uh, unfamiliar stories of a lot of familiar faces. And the goal is really to see yourself in the same light as some of the world's biggest successes who are either, you know, maybe they're just making a lot of money or maybe they're making a big difference, you know, whatever you're personally after. And, you know, I share all these stories of failure because I think it puts in perspective that these people started from from really oftentimes very modest places and wherever we are in our lives, I think it can give us that fuel to to face our fears and, and not wait for the perfect day or whatever it is. So that's so what the Purpose Principles is about and I'm really excited about it. Um, it's it's the first book, as far as I know, that's created modern success stories. You know, Think and Grow Rich and a lot of those books have, have wonderful stories, but I think most people uh, can't relate to a bunch of dead people that aren't alive anymore. And so I share a lot of stories of faces today from Jim Carrey to it's about um, really excited. And, and um, I think it really has an opportunity to, to really help people take the next step. Yeah. Excellent, man. Thank you so much. Great Thank job. you, dude. Awesome. Jake Ducey, really inspiring young dude, accomplished a lot at such a young age, excited to see where he goes. Working backwards, I love that idea. Working backwards from your goals down to the action steps you can do now, wish I'd thought of that. Sometimes goals seem so lofty and impossible, and then when you break them down, 
they're easier. Breaking them down backwards is even easier, so that's brilliant. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show is a fanarchy. It's run by you. Thank Jake on Twitter. I'm going to link that up in the show notes. Our live boot camp training details, theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Subscribe, review, all that stuff, of course. And we have our iPhone and Android apps also at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. Are you guys seeing a pattern in our URLs here? Those are free. They help you stream the show if you find it a pain to go to the website or you're doing something else that's weird. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Please tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found it. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.